Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Thanks for gathering here this morning. And uh, I want to say thanks for bringing the church into this YMCA gymnasium. If we've not had the opportunity to meet, my name is Jamie. And it's my great joy, it's my privilege to serve as one of the pastors at Crosspoint. It's also my, my joy and privilege to open up God's word with you this morning. We're continuing our series called The Way of the King. And so it's this exploration that we began about eight weeks ago, journeying through the greatest sermon that's ever been preached by Jesus himself. It's called The Sermon on the Mount. And it's found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and seven. And so we're making our way through this word here that is both, it's convicting, it's challenging, but there's great comfort in it. And there's this call that we see of what it looks like when the king comes and reclaims his world, forms us into a people. And what does it look like to follow him and to see this sort of move of God, not just someday off in the future, but like right here in our time, in our place. And so that's our, our prayer for us as a church community. We want to see the kingdom of God advance. And one of the things that I'm convinced ha makes that happen, all right, that precedes that, like we couldn't see the kingdom advance at all if we are not centered on prayer. If we do not become increasingly a people that are dependent, that we would cry out to the Lord, that we would ask him to move and to work, because here's the reality, like you can't change anybody else's heart, you can't make somebody go from death to life, you can't even change your own heart, your own motivations, I can't change mine, I can't change yours, that we need a work of God to come in and to breathe life into us and to take these hearts of stone and make them hearts of flesh that would beat for King Jesus. And so what I wanna do this morning as we find ourselves in this passage this morning, it's gonna be called the, it's usually called the Lord's Prayer, all right, so Jesus teaches us how to pray. I want us to wrestle with this question, like, do you struggle to pray? And you're in good company, I believe, if we could all take a moment to answer this question, even those that feel like they've got a particular passion or gift for prayer, I'm sure in the moments of honesty would also say, sometimes it's hard and sometimes you're just kind of slugging it out and you're wondering like, does this make any sort of difference at all? Like what actually is happening? Is God hearing this? How come he's not responding in the way? And there's, so there's a struggle with it. We wonder, is God at work? And Jesus in his kindness and his grace in this particular spot as he's talking about the kingdom advancing, he teaches his disciples a couple thousand years ago, here, here's how to actually pray. Because guess what? They struggled with it too. And every person down through the centuries has struggled with it. And so your struggle is real and mine is real. And yet there's this comfort we find because this has been the reality for everybody. And Jesus says, here, let me just give you this gift. Let me talk to you for a moment, very closely, intimately, and just this, this posture of kindness toward his disciples and subsequently toward us to teach us how to pray. So we find this in Matthew chapter uh, six, verses seven to 15. So if you got a Bible, we're gonna make our way through this. Please turn there. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's some paperback ones on the back table there. Please get up, grab one of those. Or get your phone out and go to cpwp.life and swipe over to the second card. It says message notes. The information that's up on the screens this morning is all going to be there. We want you to be able to follow along. At the end of the day, you don't need to hear my thoughts, my opinions on this. We need to hear from God himself. And God has revealed himself through his word. It's living and active and it's going to do something this morning. We come under the authority of God's word. And so I'm gonna go ahead and read this. If you're using one of the Bibles that are here, it begins on page 899. So Matthew chapter six, beginning verse seven. So there's gonna be this section here where Jesus kind of says, hey, here's not, I don't want you to do this. Don't focus on this. And then he gives us what's traditionally called the Lord's Prayer and then concludes with a couple other verses. And so what I wanna do is this. Would you go ahead and stand as I read God's word? I'm gonna read the beginning and, and the end, but in the middle portion, when we get to the Lord's Prayer, will you read aloud with me? And I'll give you the cue when to do that. But beginning in verse seven, it says this. 
And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then verse nine says, pray then like this. And the words are up on the screen as well. Would you read along with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then Jesus says this, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord, you may be seated. So let's just talk for a minute, right? Let's deal with verses seven to eight and then we'll get into the Lord's prayer. But Jesus sets it up. He's been talking to a group of people as we looked at last week saying, hey, like when you give, there's a way to give. There's a particular posture in that. He's like, when you fast, here's what it should look like. And he's been addressing. And when you pray, all right? And so we looked briefly at verses five to six last week, all right? It says, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues on the street corners. They're kind of those religious people that are sort of making a name for themselves. But now in verses seven to eight, what Jesus does, he says, when you pray, he's saying, don't be like the Gentiles, meaning this, the pagans. He's like, don't be like just sort of the secular people that are out there. Lots and lots of people pray, but sometimes what ends up happening is this. Rather than a communion with the God of the universe, and that's what prayer is. It's this invitation. You get to connect with God. It's not a, oh, I have to pray, or if I'm going to be a good Christian, I guess I got to do this. It's like the God of the universe has spoken to you through his word, and then he invites you to start in, head into a conversation with him. You get to pray, you get to talk to him, you get to share what's on, on your heart. He wants to hear from you as his children. That's amazing. Like if you hear nothing else this morning, just know, like, bring it to him. Like he wants to hear from you. But there can be this tendency here, what he addresses in seven to eight, he says, do not be like the Gentiles, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Maybe a way to think about it is this, are you viewing God as sort of this machine or are you viewing him rightly as a father. So sort of the machine idea here would be like, all right, you just say the right phrases, the right words, like you just dial it in enough, like you put the right amount of inputs in, all right, you hit the right buttons in this particular order as you're trying to figure this out, like you're gonna get the output that you want. That's not how prayer works. And we might look at this and be like, I can't believe those Gentiles that they would do that, and yet the reality is like, that's oftentimes my heart and my disposition. Do you think that God is going to hear you for your words? Now, it doesn't mean we don't persist in prayer, but do you think you can manipulate the God of the universe? Do you think if you just get the phrase just right, or if you use a lot of words, or maybe you string together a bunch of kind of churchy religious phrases that somehow he's gonna pay more attention to you? God's not this machine to be programmed to just give you what you want. God's a father. Now, I want you to reflect. I'm gonna read a couple of quotes to you. One is from J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God. Another one is from David Martin Lloyd-Jones who speak of this idea as God, as a father. This is what I want us to keep in mind as we get into the Lord's Prayer and Jesus teaches us to pray and it starts out with our father. That may be a hard image for you. I don't know your background, your upbringing, the family dynamics you are navigating that you've dealt with, all right? But know this, that there is a God, regardless of what your earthly father was like, there is a perfect heavenly father who's inviting you. He cares about you. He knows your story. He, is deeply invested in your story. He's not distant, he's not detached, he's not somebody wa walking around just sort of like not interested in your life, he cares deeply. 
So J.I. Packer says this, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. How much do you make of that? Amidst all your busyness and all the craziness of your life, have you stopped this week to reflect on, oh my goodness, I'm a child of the king. God is my father. How amazing is that? If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. We want to understand Christianity very well. And the way into that is to understand, first and foremost, that God is a father who cares deeply for his children. Martin Lloyd-Jones commenting on something similar, similar theme here, says, and when I pray, he says, I know that God is my father and that he delights to bless me and that he is much more ready to give than I am to receive and that he is always concerned about my welfare. Do you believe it? Do you believe that that's actually true? Like sometimes I think, no, 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 God, I care deeply about this and you don't seem to care. But he's like, no, that's actually not accurate. He's much more ready to give than I am actually to receive. He's always concerned. I must get rid of this thought that God is standing between me and my desire and that which is best for me. I must see God as my father who has purchased my ultimate good in Christ and is waiting to bless me with his own fullness in Christ Jesus. That's good news. Like God is not the one that's in the middle like just keeping you from all the things that you want. He has given you everything. He's given you his son. He invites you in. He calls you sons and daughters and you can subsequently call him father. And so this is what Jesus is setting us up for as we get into nine to 13, as we get into the, the Lord's prayer. He's saying, don't be like the pagans. Don't be like the Gentiles. Think you gotta get the right phrases or just say it over and over again. Just know this, your father knows. And he's inviting you to come and bring it to him. So we're gonna spend some time at the conclusion of this, like crying out to God and, and praying, all right? And I want you to be thinking through, like what is it that you can bring to your father? Because he, he knows and he's inviting you into further relationship. That doesn't mean you shouldn't pray. It's like, he's like, I already know the things you're dealing with. Will you come and bring that to me? Will you lay those things at his feet and trust that he is a good and loving father? So from there, let's look at nine to 13. We get into the Lord's Prayer and Jesus lays out for us really this pattern, all right? Now, some could turn this into what Jesus just spoke against in seven to eight. Well, if you say the Lord's Prayer the right amount of times throughout the day, all right, and you just repeat this over and over and over again, that somehow you're gonna earn God's blessing. The Lord's Prayer is a gift that he's given to us, for one, that can be prayed just as it stands. Like if you don't know where to start in prayer, maybe this is new to you and you're just like, I don't even know where to begin. You know what would be a really helpful and healthy thing? Mark these verses, jot a note down on your phone, write it on a note card, whatever it is, and just start your day out with praying this prayer. Do that tomorrow morning. Do it during your lunch break, whenever it happens before you go to bed at night to pray this, not as some sort of pagan mantra as if you're gonna earn something from God, but rather he's given us this prayer and it's simplicity and it's beauty and there's a power to it. And yet at the same time, Jesus isn't trying to lock us in and say, hey, I heard you pray something different than the Lord's prayer. Like you added to this, how dare you do that? What he's doing is giving us sort of a pattern for prayer. And as your prayer life develops and as you begin to think through how you connect with God as your father, he's saying, hey, here's sort of this template, so to speak, or here's this pattern that you can follow. And so I wanna do that for a few minutes. Let's look at what Jesus says. He says, he wants to teach them how to pray. He wants to teach us how to pray. And if we're gonna see the kingdom of God advance, we need to be a people that are continually growing in our connection with our father through 
prayer. And so I want us to think sort of directionally or sort of three movements or directions, all right? We're gonna talk about upward, we're gonna talk about outward, we're gonna talk about then inward. And I think you can take the Lord's Prayer here and sort of think about it in those three categories. And so upward, ask yourself, is your heart directed in worship? Do you notice how the Lord's Prayer starts? Again, our Father, so do we remember that that's who he is? And is that stirring worship in us? Our Father who is in heaven, it says, hallowed be your name. That doesn't mean you make the Lord's name holy. It's calling you and I to live in light of the reality that he is holy, that he is set apart, that he is worthy of praise. And this one who's so different from us also invites us into this closeness, this intimacy as a father. So he's not just this distant God that's all powerful. He's also close like a father and he cares about you. And so upward. Maybe think about it this way. I wonder for myself personally, all right, it doesn't mean that there's not gonna be times where you just pray and you just go to God and you don't necessarily start with this sort of phrase, right? There's freedom in that. God wants you, he's a father. He just wants you to bring stuff to him. But I also have to wonder how often when I just launch into my prayer list, like all the things that I'm stressed out about, all right? And again, there's an invitation to do that. But when I don't, take a moment to just remember who God is and to redirect my attention to him, I might have actually just, through prayer, created more anxiety and stress in my life because I've literally just listed out everything that's weighing heavy on my mind and I felt the pressure of it being on me instead of remembering that there's a God who calls himself Father who cares about me. Have you experienced that? You just list it all out and you're like, I think I feel more anxious. There were more things on my mind than I was even aware of and now you've got this running list. What if we started with... Our Father in heaven, blessed, hallowed be your name. God, I worship you. I don't understand it. I got a bunch of things I got to bring to you today. There's tons of things that are weighing on me, tons of things I'm stressed out about, tons of things I'm anxious about. But I do know this. You're a good father, and you love me, and you care for me, and you've got good purposes, and you've got good plans. But what if we just started there? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Do you start there? There's an invitation, Jesus says, remember Remember who God is. Upward, direct your thoughts, your affections, your attention in worship toward God. So many different places we could go, one of which that came to mind, Revelation chapter four, there's this picture of these creatures and it says the, the elders and they're gathered around the throne of God. This beautiful picture into God's sovereignty, his rule, his reign, he's literally over everything. This is upward. Look at these words in Revelation four, eight to 11. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within and day and night. They never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I mean, even if you just took that phrase and you remembered throughout the day, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He was, he is, and he is to come. How might that affect the reality of your life? It would alter my reality incredibly so because I lose sight of this all the time. I'm meant to be directed upward. And it continues and says, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, all these descriptions of God's power, the 24 elders, what does it say? They fall down before him who is seated on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the Lord saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. What if that was our posture? Now you may not be in a spot where you can get down and kind of get down on your knees and cast whatever crown, right? If you're driving down I-4, I don't recommend that, all right? But 
what if your mind, your heart was drawn to this picture, God, you are holy. You and I, we're, we're created to marvel at the beauty and the wonder of our God. And Jesus says, don't forget this. Don't forget that you have a God that cares about you, that you have a father. So he tells us, think upward. But then he says, as we move into these next couple of verses, he says, there's also then this prayer that should be directed outward. So sort of the second movement, right? We go upward, outward. Are you kingdom focused? Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's this prayer, as Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom, he's like, that God's kingdom would come, that his will would be done. Here's the temptation. I want every moment of every day for my will to be done. And my frustration, if I trace it back, is because my will was blocked. I didn't get done what I wanted to get done. This person didn't respond to me in the way that I needed them to in order for my kingdom to advance. And the call is to die to that and to say, God, you're on the throne. You're beautiful. You're worthy. I'm gonna bow to you. I wanna see your kingdom come. It's gonna be different than what I have in mind. And that's good. And that's healthy. It says, your will be done. And then there's this line here, on earth as it is in heaven, that we want to see the heavenly realm break in and make this world what God intended it to be. Now, we're not going to experience that in its fullness until Jesus comes back and sets everything right, when he splits the sky and the new heavens, the new earth, and he, he ushers in this amazing new reality where we get to be in the presence of God, enjoying all things forever with him. But during that time, here's the calling. You and I, as a church, if you're a follower of Jesus, we have to begin praying this and asking and then playing our part to see this become a reality on earth as it is in heaven. But as I said, there's something that gets in the way. So imagine for a moment, all right, here's this random group of people, all right? Um, my guess is you don't know any of them. Uh, it's a you know, random photo I found online. But just think for a moment, all right? Like here's a group photo they posed for this and you might look at it and be like, oh, well, that's, that's nice. Okay, but now imagine for a moment, all right, that you were one of the people in that picture and you were posing there for this group picture and somebody got the camera all set up or they did whatever, they asked some stranger, hey, will you take our picture as you're out at some sort of scenic spot, all right? And so the person takes the, takes the picture and there it is and somebody hands the, the phone back, all right? And now it's an opportunity for you to view that picture. In a moment of honesty, you don't have to say this, but just think, where's your eyes, where's your attention going to first? If you're like me, and what I think is like almost every single human being that walks the planet, when you see a group photo, your tendency is to zero in on how do I look? I don't think most of us are like, man, my friend, they look amazing. The way the light was hitting, you know, and so the magic hour did them wonders, right? Like, I don't think any of that is running through your mind. It's like, how do I look? Do I look stupid? Is my, are my eyes closed? What's going on with my hair? Right, like that sort of thing enters our minds immediately. It's the default setting of the human heart is it's about me. There's the picture. Here's these other image bearers of God. I don't care about them at all. How do I look? Now, you just play that. That's a silly little example. But it reveals something about our heart. The default position of the human heart is about my kingdom, about my way, about my advancement. And Jesus says, you gotta die to that. He's saying, I want you to seek first my kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe a way to think about it is this, right? Earth seems rather large, okay? It's like, okay, on earth as it is in heaven, what does that mean? What if, what if we just started to think a bit more local with this, all right? In Orlando as it is 
in heaven. Or then you put, you're like, okay, maybe that's even a little bit too broad, too large, too big, all right? All right, well, all right, in Maitland as it is in heaven, or in Winter Park, or Castleberry, or Altamont Springs, or Lake Mary, or wherever it is that you happen to live, as it is in heaven, in your school as it is in heaven, in your neighborhood as it is in heaven, your subdivision, wherever it is that you happen to live, to begin thinking that way on your street as it is in heaven, in your home as it is in heaven. And what does it mean as it is in heaven? Well, Jesus in his kindness doesn't just leave it in the abstract, this is what the Sermon on the Mount is about. So go back and read what preceded this. When he begins talking about, you wanna know what the heavenly realm looks like? Loving your enemies, not retaliating. Realizing that you've got a massive heart issue that you're like, oh, I feel good because I've never murdered anybody. Yeah, but you've got this anger that resides and that needs to be repented of and needs to be gotten rid of the unrighteous anger where there's this call where he says all right you shall not commit adultery but he says anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent like oh so the heavenly realm on earth as it is in heaven in Orlando as it is in heaven in your neighborhood in your home is realizing we've got a heart issue we've got to take those things to the Lord that there's this call to love our enemies, that there's this call to realize that the whole story is about King Jesus, that he fulfilled the law. We need to realize that we're called to be salt and light, that we're supposed to preserve this culture that the Lord has placed us in. And when we see things going on in the world, like I can't believe that's happening, part of that's on us because we haven't done our job as the church to be a preserving agent. Will we pray this in our community as it is in heaven? you beginning to think through that, to take ownership of that. God has placed you in the very location where you live, the place you inhabit, the friends you have, all that. It's not by accident. And you are called to take spiritual responsibility for that area. Not as God, not as like, or I'm gonna save everybody. No, 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 it's God that does it all. But God has placed you there as a missionary, if you're a follower of him, he's placed you there to have an impact in the lives of other people to see the kingdom of God lived out in Orlando as it is in heaven. So there's this first movement that's upward, there's outward, but Jesus doesn't just say, okay, that, that's it. He doesn't say, I, I'm, I don't care about your particular needs. He's like, no, 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 now bring those to me. In fact, in fact, there's several things that are listed here as we sort of look inward, not inward in the sense of like, I'm gonna find my, you know, uh, all fulfillment in me, but rather like, no, you can look at what weighs on your mind, in your heart, what are you anxious about? Prayer is this proclamation. I can't do it, Lord. I'm completely dependent on you. Like, unless you come to that place, you're never actually gonna grow in prayer. But increasingly, the more you live life and the more you see things, like eyes being opened to like, I literally can't do this without you. Then it stirs in us this willingness to go before the Lord. And so let's just look at these for a moment. Give us this day our daily bread. I love that Jesus says this because he's certainly talking about food and provision, all right, and he, he's pro-gluten, I think, whatever, right? Um, and so, but in this moment, what Jesus really is doing is he's saying, it's all of life. Like, all the things that, that accompany this life, he's just saying, will you bring it to me? Like, I care deeply about it. I care about your job. I care about your relationships. I care about even the little trivial things that probably Christians down through the ages, maybe, or ages or whatever, if that's how you refer to your life, but down through the years maybe have said, right? Like, well, that's not a Christian thing to do. You shouldn't pray about that. Why not? 
What do kids do? They bring things to their mom or dad. They don't filter it out of like, is this a worthy request or not? They just bring it. Been reading, I read, read through recently Praying Life by Paul Miller. Would very much commend that book to you. And I love that he's in there and he's like, hey, you wanna pray that a parking space opens up? I think that's right and true and biblical and good. Like, pray that that happens. Okay, like there's this freedom. Just, God, I need your help. What if we just had this constant conversation, right? God, I need help in this. Give us this day our daily bread. Martin Lloyd-Jones, again commenting on this, says, is not this one of the most wonderful things in the whole of scripture, that the God who is the creator and the sustainer of the universe, the God who is forming his eternal kingdom and who will usher it in at the end. So he's got a lot of things on, you know, on his plate right now. The God to whom the nations are but as the small dust of the balance, that such a God should be prepared to consider your little needs and mine, even down to the minutest details in this matter of daily bread. He cares about it all. He absolutely does. If you're not bringing it all to him, go back to what Packer said in that opening quote. You're not actually seeing him as father. He cares deeply for you. We're gonna look at this in a couple weeks, but here's a, just looking ahead, Matthew chapter seven, still part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this in verses nine to 11. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone, right? So the kid comes up, I'm hungry, can I have some bread? And you just give him this stone and this rock. Parent of the year right there, right? He's like, no. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Sorry, you can't have any fish, but here's a snake to play with or to eat, right? If you then who are evil, which is fascinating, right? It's like not building up our self-esteem. He's like, you're an evil, wicked parent. Just know this, okay? If you're evil, you actually know how to give good gifts to your children? Okay, how much more will your father, who is in heaven, who isn't wicked and evil like you and me, give good things to those who ask him? So what's the invitation here? Ask. He wants to hear from you. He's not gonna give you a stone. He's not gonna give you a serpent. It doesn't mean he's gonna give you everything that you ask for. It'd be terrifying, right? If you, think back through the years, if you got everything that you ever prayed for, your life would be really jacked up in a mess right now, and so would mine. Because God knows in his love, he's like, yeah, that's not gonna go that way. It's for your own good. Trust me, you'll thank me later, right? That's the reality of it. But we can bring these things to him. And then he says this, and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus says, okay, I love this. The physical needs of our world, bread, sort of like housing and food and all the basic necessities of life, relationships, he's like, you need all of it. I care deeply about it. I created it. But there's also the spiritual realm. It's not this separation. It's not this sort of Gnostic thing that's like, oh, we don't believe in this, this physical realm. It's all spiritual. God cares about both. He says, so forgive us our debts. Here's the reality. The scriptures speak of this this way because forgiveness is costly. When we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, sometimes people ask, well, can't you just, couldn't God have just forgiven? That's not how forgiveness works. It always costs. Somebody always absorbs the cost. So maybe after the service, right, we're out in, the, out in the kind of lobby area and there's the tile floor and maybe you come up to me and I see you've got the brand new iPhone 11, right? You've got the cool cameras and the three or 10 lenses on the back, whatever it is, right? And so you got that and I say, ooh, can I see that? And you reluctantly hand it to me and I snap a selfie, right? And, uh, and I have this picture and in my handing it back to you, it drops on the floor because you don't have a case on it, all right? And it just obliterates, like it cracks everywhere, all the lenses are broken. We have this moment then, it's gonna be awkward, right? And what's gonna happen? You can either say, don't worry about it, I got it, or I can say, hey, I will, I'm so, so sorry, I will get that fixed. But one of us is going to pay for it. 
you can't just say, don't worry about it. In order to see this thing restored, it's going to cost something. And then you think about that on a cosmic scale, like it would cost God his very life, his very son, in order to get us back. So there's this prayer here. Jesus says, forgive us our debts. Like it's costly. It's not this cheap grace. It's also though not a call to like doubt your salvation. He's not saying here in this moment, all right, you need to pray the prayer of salvation again. Like you need to become a Christian. You need to get saved all over again. No, no. God forgave you in Christ Jesus when you called out to him and you repented of your sin and you trusted in him. That's a once and for all thing. But we also know, think about it in just a relational context. So for me and my wife, all right, when I sin against her, I don't come to her and say, hey, I'm so sorry. Hey, can you go put the wedding dress back on? We're gonna do our vows all over again, all right? We're gonna play some music. We'll invite some friends over. We gotta get married all, all over again. No, no, that was a once and for all thing. It, it happened, all right? It's equivalent to like we're justified, like one time, okay? But when I sin against her or anybody else that I'm in relationship with, the reality is it doesn't change our standing as husband and wife there, but it does affect the relationship, the closeness, the intimacy, the connection. And so here's this invitation. Jesus says, hey, pay attention to that. Like, forgive us our debts. It doesn't mean you lost your salvation when you sinned, but it disrupts the relationship, the closeness you have with God your Father when you hide things, when you don't bring it to him. Do you see that? So he's saying, forgive us our debts. And then this, as we also have forgiven our debtors. When we understand that we've been saved by grace, we start to become much more gracious people and forgiving other people. Because it's not just that you sin against people, people sin against you. And this, I'll be perfectly honest, I wish that line wasn't in there. This is incredibly hard. We also have forgiven our debtors. Or I wish there was like a little asterisk where you could drop down in the footnotes that says, and we also have forgiven our debtors for those that have sought the forgiveness, they have apologized, they have groveled, they have cried out, they have you know, kind of paid the, the price of it that they came back to, I'm so, so sorry, you were right, I was wrong, you're amazing, I'm terrible, like, and they just went through that whole thing, right? And I'm like, okay, my son, you're forgiven, right? Like, that's kind of how I want it to go, but apparently for Jesus, he's like, hey, You've been forgiven much, now you forgive your debtors. People have sinned against you. So who, very practically then, what's gonna come to mind over and over again is who do you need to forgive? This is not easy. I don't stand up here as somebody who's like, oh, yes, it's been so freeing as I've forgiven everybody that's ever sinned against me and I never have any bitterness or anger or any of that stuff. It's hard. It's been a prayer this week, studying this, God doing this, work. okay, Lord, what things am I holding on to? Okay, yeah, maybe I was sinned against in this way, but why have I not forgiven that person? Kent Hughes in his commentary on this says it this way, and this is a bit terrifying. He says, sometimes our unforgiving hearts make our prayers die on our lips. The Lord's prayer can then be nothing more than a self-inflicted curse, a prayer of doom instead of blessing. For if we pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, with unforgiving hearts, we are asking God not to forgive us. It's like, hey, God, forgive me as I've forgiven. Oh, but by the way, I haven't actually forgiven. Hmm. How many of us find ourselves in that spot? And Jesus is saying, I want you to be free from this. I want you to be free from bitterness and anger and resentment. Will you remember that you've been forgiven much? That the grace of God has been extended to you in the person and work of Jesus. And then become the kinds of people that would forgive. And then he says this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, James chapter one reminds us, God is not the, God never tempts us. So this is a little confusing. It's like, 
Why are we praying to God to not lead us into temptation when apparently God never is the one who tempts us? Well, it can be understood as well. There's, this could be translated as tests or trials. And wouldn't it be fair to say that for most of us, in the trials, in the testing, in the difficult circumstances of life, that's when temptation often rears its ugly head and we find ourselves giving in, as James 1 would speak of, our desires that sort of entice us and lure us away from God. It's like we get hooked and we're going in a direction that is against what God would want for us. So he's saying, in trials and difficulties, Lord, I need your deliverance. I need the spirit of God to lead me. Deliver us from evil. Now, the prayer ends right there. And what we have to see and what is so remarkable and so beautiful because we're six chapters into the story that Matthew's been telling, all right, about the life of Jesus, but not just what he did and his teachings and the, as he gathered on a hill and, you know, gathered all these people around him and said these things and taught them to pray. It's a story that's going to showcase for us his life, his death, his resurrection, and his promise one day to come back. And how he's given us his spirit. And so here's the beautiful thing. When we pray this and we end, and we end with that deliver us from evil, God, and we, we cry out, know this, that ultimately the war has been won. That you have been delivered. That was a once and for all thing. Now there's this ongoing work where we, wanna, we don't want to give in to temptation. As so we cry out and we have the spirit of God who indwells with us right now for followers of him is going to lead us. But be mindful of this. As Paul would say in Colossians chapter 1, look at these words. He's, it's kind of we're picking up kind of the middle of really a prayer that he has for this group of people in this particular city. He's saying, so being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. Like we need that, right? It's hard to have endurance and patience with joy. Oh, by the way, so you're like, I'm a really patient person. I'm just, you know, but I'm really grumpy. It's like, no, no, patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. You didn't qualify yourself. He has qualified you to what? To share in the inheritance of the saints in light he has what? Here's the answer to the prayer. Jesus taught us to pray, deliver us from evil. Oh, guess what? Look what Jesus has done. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Look what God has done. Look what God the Father has done, that he would be a good and loving father to the point that he would be willing to give up his son. We're trapped in the domain of darkness. We are destined for hell. We deserve the wrath of God. All of these things. And we've sinned against God. We have not lived the life we've been called to live. And he's like, oh, guess what? I'm going to deliver you from that domain. Why? How? By his son actually going and dying in our place. Receiving the penalty that you and I actually deserve. So that what? We can have redemption, that we might be free, that we might have the forgiveness of our sins. So as we close the Lord's Prayer, it's calling us back to remember the story, that you're part of the story of redemption. We'll look at this very briefly. 14 to 15 then, very similar to this call to forgive others, right? It's like, okay, what do we do with this? So the prayer ends and then Jesus kind of gives these couple verses. And at first glance, I'm again, I'm like, ooh, do we have to have those in there? Can we skip these? For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. It's like, wait, what? It makes it sound like this whole thing's conditional. As long as I forgive other people, then God will forgive me. 
And it would seem then to go against this gospel message that says you can't earn anything, that he's delivered you, that he's secured this. So what is actually happening here? What Jesus is speaking to is this. When your heart has been gripped by the grace of God, that you're undeserving, that I'm undeserving of the grace of God, that Jesus willingly died in our place, he conquered Satan, sin, and death. He made a mockery of all those things, that he's coming back one day to set everything right. When you've been brought into that story, it changes you. And so it's speaking more of like, you wanna have some confidence, that maybe some proof that God is at work as you now begin to forgive those who have sinned against you. You're not earning anything. And I'm not saying this is always going to go perfectly, but God is beginning to form you into a new kind of person that actually would love your enemies. While we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. When you realize that's what the gospel is, that's what the, the gospel, the good news is, I was an enemy and God willingly like sent his son for me to bring me into the family. Oh, well suddenly these people that have sinned against me, I can be a bit more open-handed with, I can forgive, I can offer grace. Because at the end of the day, I see the sacrifice of Jesus and it warms my heart, it stirs my affections. A few weeks ago, maybe many of you I'm sure saw this, it was shared across social media and news outlets it was a guy by the name of Brant Jean, and he gave his statement. It was a, the closing of a, a, this, this hearing, and he had an opportunity for what's called a victim impact statement. If you know this story, his brother uh, was shot and killed while hanging out in his own, his own apartment, um, just minding his own business. Um, and one night, late, this, uh, uh, this off-duty police officer walked into his apartment thinking it was her own, thought it was an intruder. She ends up in shooting and killing Brant Jean's brother, all right, probably familiar with this following, it's a major news story. Amber Geiger was the name of the, the woman who ends up shooting Brant Jean's brother, Botham Jean. That's the two of them. At the end of this hearing, he gets an opportunity to give this victim impact statement to say, hey, as a family member, somebody that's been impacted by this, he could address her. All the things he could have chosen to say, let me read to you what his statement was. So he looked at this woman who had shot and killed his brother while he was in his own apartment. Imagine that the bitterness, the rage, the anger, like all of that that he could have been feeling, and I'm sure has felt at various points. He says this, if you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone can say it, Again, I'm speaking for myself and not on behalf of my family, but I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I personally want the best for you. And I wasn't going to ever say that in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's exactly what Botham would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that Botham would want you to do. Again, he's looking across at this woman who shot and killed his brother. I love you as a person and I don't wish anything bad on you. And I don't know if this is possible as he looks over at the judge, but can I give her a hug, please? Please. And with permission granted, he gets up and embraces this woman. What Jesus is speaking of here in 14 to 15 
Like, do you want to know if the gospel was real in that man's life? To be able to forgive, to say, I love you, to offer grace. It doesn't mean there's not consequences for sin, right? But to be able to do that, this man has understood the kingdom, that God is changing his heart in such a way that he can actually love because he knows that he's been loved by God. And that love began to overflow in such a way that he couldn't possibly hold on to this sort of anger and rage and was willing to just say, I, I forgive you. Because he's somebody that understood that he's been forgiven much. What if we were formed into those kinds of people? Maybe your story will never be as make the news in the way that this has. But there's opportunities every single day for us to embody the Lord's prayer to be upward in our focus, to be outward in our focus, and then to cry out to him, Lord, I need you to help me. Provide for me in these ways. Change my heart in these ways. And so what I wanna do is close with this. Normally I'll close in prayer and give you a few moments of quiet reflection kind of on your own, but I wanna give you some, some guidance here. And so we're just gonna spend the next few moments just praying. We wanna pray the Lord's Prayer together so you stay quietly where, where you're at. At the conclusion of this, I'll invite us to communion and continuing in our service. If you've got elementary kids at that point, you can go get them. Um, but here's what we're gonna do. We wanna just, we wanna pray. And we're just gonna go through these parts of the Lord's Prayer for a moment. They'll be up on, on the screen. But if you would, bow your heads. And I'll just give us a bit of instruction here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Take a moment now to thank God that he is your Father praise and to worship him for who he is, that he is sovereign, that he is good. Reflect on who this God is who reveals himself as Father. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Take a moment now to ask that God's will would be done and not your own. Ask that we as a church community would have an impact here in Orlando and Central Florida, in our communities. Pray that the kingdom of God might advance in our time and in our place. Give us this day our daily bread. Take a moment to cry out to God in desperation. There are things that are weighing on you. You're wondering how God is gonna provide and maybe it's financially, maybe it's with some relational need, maybe it's a job, 
it's just a decision you have to make, whatever it is, bring that to the Lord right now. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Take a moment to confess to the Lord, to repent, to ask for his forgiveness. And then ask the spirit as well to, to lead you in forgiving those that have sinned against you. not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Take a moment to cry out to God. There are particular temptations that you face, particular trials and difficulties. Bring those to the Lord. Ask for his help. Ask that the spirit might deliver you from evil, that you might not give in to old patterns of, of sin, that you might be freed from places that you're enslaved. Father, we thank you that you hear us, that we can call you Father, that because of the finished work of Jesus, we now have access, that we can come before you boldly. We're not hindered. We can come with a confidence, not in ourselves, but because of the new creations that we are, because of the life, death, the resurrection, the sacrifice of Jesus. So God, we pray for your help that we might become a people of prayer, that we might become a church knows its desperate need and is willing to cry out individually and collectively. We would pray that you might use us for your glory and for our joy, seeing your kingdom advance in our time and our place. So we thank you that you care deeply for us, God. May we feel an increased freedom to just bring to you our cares and our concerns that there's nothing that you don't care about. Let us not believe the lie of the enemy that would try and convince us that something is unimportant. God, everything is important. ourselves as the sons and daughters that we are, that we've got a spot around the table 
continually invite us into your presence. We pray these things in Jesus' name.